Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. If you don't know me, my name is Brian, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at The Exchange. Uh, Our lead pastor, Bryant, is out of town this week. And so the staff guys got together, and we decided that since my name sounded the most like his, that I was nominated to stand up here. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, And I'm excited about an opportunity to come up here and to share some out of God's Word today. And I pray that uh, we'll all be encouraged walking out today. If you don't know about it, we have a reading plan through the Bible that we do here as a family at the exchange. It's called the Life Journal Reading Plan. So if you haven't been a part of it, then all you have to do is text the word Bible to 601-397-6111, and that'll get you signed up to receive a message from us on Sunday evenings with that week's reading. Uh, We have an Old Testament and New Testament option. You can do both together, or you can choose just to do the New Testament, whichever one you prefer. And man, I would encourage you that if you haven't done that, man, go ahead and take an opportunity to sign up. I don't care if you even do it while I'm preaching. That's how much I want you to read the Bible. Man, I think it's an awesome opportunity for us to be on the same page uh, here as a family together, reading along in God's Word together. If you haven't been reading with us, uh, we've been talking about the Israelites Okay, the Israelites, uh, I'm going to go back all the way to Exodus and kind of give you a short recap. Hopefully it won't take me too long. But the Israelites found themselves in slavery in Egypt. Okay, and they cried out to God, God, deliver us from this slavery. And so God appointed Moses to go and to deliver the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And so Moses goes, and through miraculous miracle after miraculous miracle, God delivers the Israelite people, and he leads them out to the edge of the Red Sea, and they look behind them, and the Egyptian army is coming. And so they're scared, they don't know what to do, and then God parts the Red Sea for them to walk across on dry land. And when the Egyptian army followed them, he closes the Red Sea, and then he protected his people. And it didn't even stop there. God then took them across the wilderness, leading them by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, and providing them with manna from heaven to eat during the day, and even bringing water forth from a rock. And so as they journeyed across the wilderness, they come to the edge of the promised land. So God had promised them this land. It was theirs for the taking. But the Israelite people forgot God's faithfulness. And they decided that they would send 12 spies in to check out the land and just to see, was this something that we could really do? And so 10 out of those 12 spies came back and they reported that this was not something that we could do, that there were giants in the land and there's no way that we can overtake it. And so because of their disobedience and their lack of faith in God, God said that that generation would not enter the promised land. So he sends them back out into the desert to wander for 40 years, all the while while still providing for them, but wander for 40 years until that disobedient generation passed on. And once that generation passed on, the new generation, God leads them up to the edge of the promised land. And that's where we're going to find ourselves today. So if you will, will you turn turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, 
verses 12 through 14. That's where we're going to be hanging out today. If you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, we're going to put the verses up on the screen behind me so that you can follow along. Now Moses gives the Israelites a lot more instruction than what we're going to look at today. There's a lot more things that he said, and they're important things. But these three verses, I think there are three things that we can pull out and we can apply to our lives because of the similarities of where the Israelites were and where we are today. So if you'll pick up with me in verse 12, let's read together. <clears throat> it says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve Him only and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. See, there's a couple of different things that I want us to look at in these verses. Like I said, there's three things that I think that we can pull out and we can apply to our everyday lives here. You see, the Israelites, they were about to go into a place that was hostile to them and that they were going to fight them. And I think that's a lot like our world today. The world around us is hostile to us as followers. Everywhere we go, there's something that's trying to sway us and make us disobedient to God's commands on our life. Driving down the road, you might see a billboard that tempts you to go and be disobedient to what God has told you to do. Maybe it's a coworker or a fellow student who's all the time trying to get you to let your hair down a little bit on the weekend and just do it, man, just for one weekend. Everywhere we go, there are people and things that are trying to trip us up. And see, Moses knew that that's exactly what the Israelites were walking into. They were walking into a hostile environment, which is much like where we live today. And I think his warning to them is something that we should take heed and we should listen to. And so the first thing that Moses says to the people that I want us to look at today is don't forget what God has done. Don't forget what God has done. See, Moses warned the people not to forget all of the things that they had seen as he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. I mean, they saw the plagues. They saw the Red Sea. They saw God provide manna from heaven. They saw him provide water out of a rock, for crying out loud. And I think sometimes that we can look at the Israelite people and we can judge them a little too quickly. We think, man, they saw some amazing things. If I saw that, that would never happen to me. But I think you're mistaken I think a lot of times when God works in our life, we forget. You see, <clears throat> we're way too quick to judge them because a lot of times we let things in our life sway our obedience and our trust in God's faithfulness. What about worry or fear? And maybe you're worried about that job promotion at work, whether or not you're going to get it. And if I don't get it, what am I going to do? Am I going to be able to stay here? I'm going to have to go find another job. What am I going to do? Or maybe it's the latest topic in the world today. Man, maybe you're scared of that coronavirus. <laughs> maybe after church today, you're going to Home Depot to get you some masks. That's a concern, but it shouldn't sway us. It shouldn't bring us to sinful worry. Or what about this one? This one is something that I'll be vulnerable with you. I let creep into my life from time to time. And that's worry for my children. And I worry sometimes about my children. It's not right for me to do. I should trust them to God. 
But I worry, and am I bringing them up like I should? Am I spending enough time pointing them to Jesus? Are they going to make the same mistakes that I did? That's things that keep me up sometimes at night. But it's because I've lost what God has done for me in that moment. See, when you remember those things, you don't get to that place of sinful worry or fear. What about doubt? Doubt's another one that I think we all struggle with. See, maybe some point in your life you can remember where God provided for you in a way that you can only explain as a miracle. I mean, I know for me personally, there are plenty of times that I can look back and go, there's no explaining that other than God. But what happens when you get away from that miracle a little bit? You start to forget what God has done. The money gets a little tight. Things start happening. And before you know it, if you forget God's faithfulness, then maybe you start cheating a little bit at work. Or maybe you start neglecting your family a little bit to stay a little longer because you don't trust that God has a plan and He's going to supply every one of your needs. You see, we're really too quick to judge the Israelite people. I think that's something that we can be guilty of in our day and time. I remember when we first started attending the exchange, Bryant preached on the faithfulness of God. And so he brought out this jar and he started talking about it. And he referenced back to a story in the Old Testament where Moses, knowing that the people would be prone to forget, just like we are, Moses tells Aaron to grab a jar and to go put some of the manna in it that God had provided for them to remind them. He records it in Exodus 16.33. It says this, Moses tells Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. See, Bryant and Heather had taken that jar and they named it an omer jar. And what they did is over time when they saw God provide for them, planting the exchange. When they saw God providing for them, they wrote that down on a piece of paper and they put it into this jar so that they could always go back and remember God's faithfulness. And I remember sitting right where you are. I was sitting right over here on this side of the, of the gathering space and I remember thinking, man, that's awesome. Like God's doing some pretty amazing things in mine and Brittany's life at that moment and I don't want to forget them. I don't want to forget them. So I want to show you what we did. We created our own Omer jar. And if you can tell, God's been faithful. He's been extremely faithful. And both times that I've brought this jar out this morning, I almost cry when I look at it. Because I look at that and I say, can't forget God's faithfulness. There's been so many times over the last three and a half years after we've made this jar that I've been tempted to worry or fear or doubt God's provision. And I can go to my closet and I can pull this jar out. And I can open the top and pull out slip of paper after slip of paper recounting God's faithfulness to me and to my family. And I may have stepped into that moment in a place where I might be tempted to sinfully worry or fear, but I step out of that moment in peace because I remember 
God's faithfulness. Psalm 105 says this about God's faithfulness. It says, For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. See, God is faithful to keep His promises. When we forget that, we go into a dangerous place that will cause us to go into sin. And so look back at our passage today at verse 14. I want us to look at the second warning that Moses gives to the Israelite people. It says this. It says, Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. See, one thing that Moses was sure of is that they were about to go into a land that wasn't full of people that were going to point them to obedience to him. It's anything but. Sounds kind of like the land that we live in, right? Sounds a lot like it. I mean, there's so many similarities in this story. But Moses knew that they were going to be surrounded by all different types of idols and that they were going to be tempted by the people around them to follow those idols. See, God was so serious about ridding that land that God told the Israelite people, do not leave one of those people or the idols in the land. Get rid of them completely because that's how serious I am about your heart being turned towards me in worship. And we know the story and we know that that didn't happen fully and it caused the Israelites to stumble. And so you might look right now and you might say, man, I'm not in danger of bowing down to any idols. I'm not going out to my shop when I get home and carving out uh, a wooden image for me to bow down to. But I would say, what about the idol of money? Money is an idol in our culture. Everything you hear says that money is something that you should chase after and you should worship. It makes people neglect their families, neglect parenting their children. Neglect loving their wives the way they should. So many things that money can turn us away and cause us to be disobedient to God. What about the idol of sex? That's, to me, that is the, the idol that is the most rampant here in our culture today. There's whole industries that are built to worship the idol of sex. Our culture tells us that's something that we should yearn for. Movies have it constantly. Songs on the radio worship it and tell you it's something that you should chase after. And our culture has come to a place to where the idol of sex is something that everybody should do. Even when God has told us that it's something that should stay in covenant marriage. You say, well, man, those are, those are things that, aren't, that are bad. Drugs, alcohol, power, all of those things are idols that I'll never chase after. I'm a good person. But I would say, what, what about the idol of success? Success is not a bad thing. But it is when you chase after it above your worship of God. What about sports? Hunting. Appearance. Shopping. What about this one? And I'll be honest with you and I'll be vulnerable. This is one that sometimes creeps into my life and I have to be careful. But it's not one that we would normally think of. Comfort. I just recently told my wife that comfort is something that I could struggle with 
as an idol. The way I'm wired and the way I tick is I don't want any kind of confrontation. And I seek my own comfort, which we could go a lot of different ways with that in ways that's sinful. But comfort sometimes has caused me to neglect to love my wife the way that I should. To neglect to parent my children the way that I should. To neglect to work the way I should. Or to be a friend the way I should. You see, idols don't have to be bad things. They can be good things that God has given us to enjoy. But the moment that we take that thing and we place it above our obedience to God and His commandment to love others as ourselves, then they become an idol and they become a God that we're chasing after. And I think that we have to be careful of that. And I think that that's what Moses was telling the Israelites. Paul Tripp, Christian author, he says it this way. He says, you cannot divide human beings into those who worship and those who don't. Everybody worships. It's just a matter of what or whom we serve. So my question for you today is not, are you worshiping something? But on what are you placing your worship? You giving your worship to the one true God who deserves every bit of your worship? There's one of those things that I named, or that, is it creeping into your life? Maybe it's one of those bad things that we said. Or maybe it's one of those good things, like comfort. And maybe God's calling you today to lay down so that you can be obedient to Him. So which one of those things will you choose to worship today? Created things or the Creator? Let's look back at our, our passage for one final warning that I see Moses give to the Israelites. <clears throat> and I wanted to camp out for most of the time here today. But in verse 13, it says this. It says, Fear the Lord your God. Serve Him only and take your oaths in His name. So our last warning today that Moses gives to the Israelites and we can take into account into our own lives is fear God. Fear God. I say this one for last because I think we, where we fall in this category determines how we react to the other two things that we've talked about. Okay, This fear concept, there's a couple of different ways that we can think about that. And I think the Bible talks about two different ways that we can fear God. One applies to the unbeliever, and one applies to the believer. So I want to talk about the unbeliever first. I want to look at what the Bible says about that. The Bible says that if someone has not come to knowledge, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and put their trust in Him as their Savior, that they should have a fear of judgment. They should have a fear of judgment. You may think, oh no, here he goes. This preacher's about to go all hellfire and brimstone on us up in here today. And that is not my intent at all. But my intent is not to scare you, but my intent is to show you the truth and what the Bible says about the fear of judgment. And you see, there's potentially a ton of questions that someone could ask about this type of fear. Man, how could a good God judge someone for a little sin? 
And so my answer to you on that would be that if that is your viewpoint, then your viewpoint of what sin does is way too low. And then your viewpoint of who God is is way too low. Because anybody that knows what sin does to a person and where it takes you knows that our God is good and just for His judgment. Look at Deuteronomy 32.4. I want us to take a second to find out who God is, who we are, and what sin does to us. Because I think that's important on our viewpoint of the fear of judgment. So let's look for a second at who God is. Deuteronomy 32.4 says this about God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just, is He. Seems pretty clear that God is about rightful judgment, right? Seems like he's pretty, he's pretty serious about sin and the judgment that goes along for it. And this verse makes it pretty clear that he's right and perfect and just for doing so. So I think based on that conclusion and where we come to about this judgment, we have to say, well, what is sin? What's the penalty of sin? And I think the beginning of Romans 6.23 gives us what perfect and righteous judgment is. It says this, it says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So now that we've discovered who God is and how perfect He is in His justice, and we've discovered that the penalty of sin is death, not just physical death, but eternal death. You see, because every one of us in this room, we're going to experience physical death one day. But that's not the death that we're talking about here. We're talking about eternal separation from God. And I've heard people say before, man, oh, that's Old Testament God that does that judgment. New Testament God doesn't do that. And so I want you to look at what Jesus says in Luke. And Luke 12 records Jesus' words on this type of fear. He says this, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. I tell you, fear him. That's Jesus' words, folks. That nullifies that Old Testament argument. See, Jesus knew that if you didn't put your trust in Him, that there's a fear of judgment that you should have. You see, I think we skirt around this too much in the church today. The church as a whole, I think we just do it. I think it's because we're scared that we're going to try to scare somebody into a relationship with Jesus. And hear me when I say that today, that that is not at all what I am trying to do. I don't want to scare you, but I do want you to know the truth. And I want you to hear what the Bible has to say is good and right judgment for the sinner. So if you look around you today, look to your right, look to your left, behind you, in front, every one of us are sinners. Newsflash. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, then that's the fear that you should have of God. 
And that's heavy. I get that. That's heavy. But it's the truth. It's what the Bible says about that type of fear. But I don't think that that's the type of fear that God was talking about with the Israelites. And so I want us to look at a second type of fear that the Bible mentions as it pertains to the life of a follower of Jesus. It's a fear that produces awe and worship. It's a fear that produces awe and worship. This is produced in somebody when you understand who God is. Now, let me be real with us. We'll never fully understand God. But when we can understand how big and how powerful the majesty of who God is, the mercy that He's shown us, the goodness that He's shown us, the grace that He's shown us as sinners. And I think we can start relating to to what Paul says in Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. It says this. It says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were still in our sin, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have been justified by His blood, the blood that Jesus shed on our behalf and took on the wrath that we rightfully deserved, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Good news, church. That's good news. Not only is this so, we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. You see, the fear that Moses was talking about, he warned them to hold on to, was a fear of awe and worship because of who God is. It comes from a place of knowing His majesty and His power. It comes from a place of knowing who you are. I think we have to have a rightful view of who we are and what we deserve to have a rightful view of who God is. You see, when we realize that we deserve the wrath that Jesus rightfully that Jesus took on on our behalf on the cross, I think it puts us in the right place. I think it brings us to a place where we can't stay the same because of the awe and the thankfulness and the worship that comes out when we realize that. It puts you in a place of awe. And I think Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says it well. It says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And I love the way those verses put it. Our God is a consuming fire. Wow. Because of what God has done, because of the great gift that He's given us in Jesus, let us be thankful and worship Him for what He's done. See, that's exactly what the fear of God looks like in the life of the believer. It puts you in a place where your life cannot stay the same. 
If you fear God, you don't want to do anything disobedient. When you fear God, you'll stay in a place of thankfulness. When you fear God, you'll stay in a place of worship. So what would that look like for you today? What would it look like for you to fear God in that way? Would it change the way that you work at your job? Would it change the way, student, when you hang out with your friends at school, would it change the way that you talk? Would it change the way that you treat your husband? Would it change the way that you treat your wife? Would it change the way that you parent your children? I think it would. I think if we fear God in that way, all of those things cannot Stay the same. So my question is, who are you worshiping? What are you putting your worship in today? Have you forgotten God's faithfulness? Even if you came in today as an unbeliever, God is still faithful. And He's given us the gift of Jesus. And so have you forgotten that? Did you forget God's faithfulness? in your life. What would it look like for us to leave this room as a room full of people who fear God and reverence and awe? Let me pray for us. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about the exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.